You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Threat actors rush to exploit exchange server vulnerabilities before victims get around to patching. It's like a worldwide fire sale. Rick Howard digs into third-party platforms and cloud security. Robert M. Lee from Dragos shares insights on the recent Florida water plant event. The U.S. mulls some form of retaliation against Russia for the solar wind supply chain campaign. And it will also need to consider how to respond to China's operations against exchange server. And another Chinese threat actor may have been exploiting solar winds late last year. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, March 8, 2021. Chinese threat actors' exploitation of Microsoft Exchange Server Zero Days has proven about as extensive and damaging as early fears held it to be. Bloomberg sums up current views of the incident, saying that it's morphing into a global cybersecurity crisis, with exploitation racing against patching and remediation. Krebs on Security put the total number of U.S. organizations affected by exploitation of the exchange server vulnerabilities at about 30,000. The Washington Post reports that the count of victims has already exceeded the number of targets affected by the solar winds compromise, nor has the incident been confined to U.S. targets. The European Banking Authority, for one, yesterday disclosed that it too had been affected and that it has taken its email systems offline as an initial response. Not all such exploitation is the work of Hafnium, the Chinese-affiliated threat actor Microsoft identified last week as being behind the campaign. In a Friday update to the relevant security advisory, Redmond wrote, quote, Microsoft continues to see increased use of these vulnerabilities in attacks targeting unpatched systems by multiple malicious actors behind Hafnium, end quote. So, as often happens in such cases, the attack has changed from a break-in by a single organization to a riot, with many opportunistic groups smashing metaphorical windows and looting virtual organizations. The Washington Post reports that the change occurred last week. Paraphrasing security firm Veloxity's Stephen Adair, 
The Post says other unidentified actors, some of them no doubt simple criminal gangs, have raced to join the exploitation. As Adair put it to the Post, quote, They went to town and started doing mass exploitation, indiscriminate attacks compromising exchange servers literally around the world with no regard to purpose or size or industry. They were hitting any and every server they could, end quote. That kind of indiscriminate approach isn't entirely consistent with espionage, although a lot of collection can be indiscriminate since things like credentials and PII could always come in handy and you never know. But it is consistent with multiple actors, many of them criminal, taking advantage of the same vulnerabilities. It's also consistent with an intelligence service acting to get as much as it can while the getting's good before patching shuts them out. Many of the victims in the U.S. have included small and medium-sized businesses, local governments, and schools. As the National Security Council tweeted over the weekend, simple patching isn't enough. Affected organizations must find and eject any of the web shells the attackers left behind. The number of victims is very large, and mopping up will represent a protracted challenge. Wired quotes an unnamed security researcher as calling the number of victims astronomical, That's an exaggeration, to be sure, since the total number of potential targets is far less than the number of stars in the heavens. But it's a forgivable overstatement, because that number is surely really, really large. Anyone who operates an exposed exchange server should assume they've been compromised and act accordingly. Reuters reports that the White House has warned that the incident is a serious one, with an official saying, quote, This is an active threat still developing, and we urge network operators to take it very seriously. The U.S. administration is forming a task force to organize a whole-of-government response to the cyber operations, CNN says. According to the New York Times, Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber and Emerging Technology Newberger is said to be leading that effort. Chinese operators have been busy elsewhere, too, ZDNet reports that it's not just the Russians who got busy with solar winds. SecureWorks Counter Threat Unit has detected what appears to be a Chinese threat actor. SecureWorks calls it Spiral, using compromised solar wind servers to deploy the web shell Sunburst. The furor over the Hafnium operation comes on top of the earlier and continuing furor over the solar winds compromise and related cyber espionage efforts. These have been generally attributed to Russian operators, and the U.S. is said to have begun preparing a response that the press is calling retaliation. The Chinese operation may be bigger, at least in terms of the number of organizations affected, but both are regarded as very serious. The New York Times quotes U.S. National Security Advisor Sullivan on the range of potential U.S. responses, Sullivan observes that some of the response may not be particularly visible to the larger world. He said, quote, I actually believe that a set of measures that are understood by the Russians but may not be visible to the broader world are actually likely to be the most effective measures in terms of clarifying what the United States believes are inbounds and out of bounds and what we are prepared to do in response, end quote. In any case, the response to both Russia and China will probably involve the imposition of a familiar range of costs. Economic sanctions will almost certainly be used, although in Russia's case it's unclear just how much remains to be sanctioned. 
and other measures will in all likelihood include indictments, naming, and shaming. They are also likely to involve some sort of retaliatory cyber operation. Both the Russian and Chinese operations are unusually troubling because they represent at least a potential threat that extends beyond intelligence collection. That's serious enough, but the possibility of data corruption or destruction are more serious, and the potential to compromise systems in ways that might make attacks on control systems possible is more serious still. There's no direct publicly available evidence that these more destructive operations have occurred, but they represent a risk that affected governments cannot ignore. Among the responses to the SolarWinds compromise is likely to be an essentially defensive executive order aimed at preventing similar attacks in the future. The White House did signal on Friday that an executive order was under preparation to induce software developers to build greater security into their products. CyberScoop reports that Deputy National Security Advisor Newberger told a SANS summit that the proposed executive order, quote, will focus on building in standards for software, particularly software that's used in critical areas. The level of trust we have in our systems has to be directly proportional to the visibility we have, and the level of visibility has to match the consequences of the failure of those systems. End quote. And finally, not to further harsh your buzz, income tax time is approaching in several parts of the world. But there's some news to make that annual news, if not good, I mean, let's be realistic, at least less bad. The National Cybersecurity Alliance and the Internal Revenue Service have published some advice on how both businesses and individuals can stay safe during a period when scammers are traditionally active. You can find it at staysafeonline.org. And happy filing. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. 
To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. And joining me once again is Rick Howard. He is the CyberWire's chief analyst and also our chief security officer. Rick, great to have you back. Thanks, Dave. So over the last few episodes of your CSO Perspectives show, you've been looking at how to secure the various cloud provider networks that are out there. But, okay, you're an old Palo Alto Networks guy. Oh, no, um, rat it out. You found me out. <laughs> no, 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 I don't think that's a big secret in the industry. But uh, I was wondering, uh, are you going to get around to addressing some of the third-party solutions? I mean, you know, security solutions that don't actually come from the cloud providers. Well, that's a good point because, you know, you might be surprised to learn this day, but most of us don't store and process our data in a single cloud environment. You know, who knew? Okay. (laughs) I mean, just, you know, using the CyberWire as an example, we use AWS, but we also use like 25 other SaaS applications and not to mention Mm. our backup systems back at headquarters. And we are relatively small compared to, you know, big government and big academic and big commercial Those organizations have data scattered all over the world. So help me understand here. Is what you're saying that um, using a cloud provider's security tool set, is is that just adding another layer of complexity to, I think, what we can all agree is a pretty tangled security ecosystem? (laughs) That's right. You know, and in, in a time when we should all be looking to reduce complexity, because the more complex it is, the more difficult it is to maintain Adding another layer of security tools from the cloud provider that doesn't easily integrate with the rest of your security ecosystem may not be the best solution for you. In fact, before we all started moving to the cloud some 10 years ago, orchestrating this ecosystem was really hard to do. Now that most of us are working in at least one cloud environment, orchestration is even harder. So in this show, we take a look at how some of the big security platforms like Fortinet, Cisco, Checkpoint, and Palo Alto Networks, you know, my alma mater, might be the best security solution, not just for your cloud environments, but for wherever you store and process your data because of their innate ability to orchestrate across all of those environments with a single policy. Hmm. All right. Interesting. Well, I'm looking forward to checking that out. That is CSO Perspectives. It is part of CyberWire Pro. You can find out all about that on our website, thecyberwire.com. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And 
And joining me once again is Robert M. Lee. He is the CEO at Dragos. Uh, Rob, it's always great to have you back. I wanted to check in with you and, and kind of get a, a ground truth reality check when it comes to this recent incident with the water system in Oldsmar, Florida. Uh, can you give us your perspective on what exactly went down here? Yeah, and, and you know the interesting thing to start off with is I don't know that we actually fully know what went down. So the public reporting is that there was an internet-connected human-machine interface. This is a software that operators will use to you know click on buttons to open valves or kick on pumps or so forth. It's a, a view into the operations that allows you to control it. And uh, the, the story goes that um, an adversary remotely accessed the internet-exposed HMI. They didn't have a firewall and, and so forth. And that with that HMI, they try to dump lie into the water, um, which would then obviously poison or, or significantly hurt people at a minimum, but probably kill some um, folks in the community. And so that's a, it's a huge deal on any means. So I'm not going to underplay this. I mean, it was an attack on a facility, and it was an attack from a safety perspective, not on a safety system, but they were trying to hurt people um, on American soil. That's that's insane. But why I say we, I don't know we fully know the details is some of the insights that have come out and some of the FBI reporting has been a little bit conflicted on some of the technical details. And some of the things are highlighting like, oh, they had Windows 7 software or shared credentials have nothing to do with the attack they described, but yet they were really concerned about it. And so I'm not so sure that they're they're capturing necessarily um, what had happened there. We're um, investigating some stuff ourselves. And so I need to um, shy away from the topic just a little bit, but 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 I'll say that um, I think there are po- multiple scenarios that took place. We need to hone in on what exactly took place so we can provide um, reasonable recommendations out to the community. But either way, um, a, a remote adversary did try to dump lie into the water and hurt people, and that is a big deal. What about the the, the notion that, um, as you say, you know this this whole thing is is a bit insane? But isn't cranking up the sodium hydroxide into the water? I mean, isn't that kind of insanely noisy? Like, if you want to draw attention to yourself, uh, you don't crank the dial up to eleven. Uh, I don't know. It depends, um, and so it's it, it's kind of depending on the system and the operator and everything else. So there's some environments, as an example, where Regardless of what you say in the PLC, regardless of what you say on the HMI, the valve can't even support that. So you can crank it up to 11,000 you know, um, parts per milliliter, but it's not going to actually do that. Maybe it's instead of 100 to 1 scale, it's a 10 to 1 scale. Hmm. But that's not universal. You know, At some sites, you can. At some sites, if you did this, an alarm would trip and there'd be a literal sound in the plant and operators would, would figure it out real quick. In some sites, it'd be a little blinky light on an HMI with another 50 blinky lights, and they may not see it. And so the reality is there's not any way to generalize everything at every plant. And there are some water facilities that this exact same style of attack would have done very little, if anything. And there's some water facilities that this exact same style of attack would have significantly hurt and possibly killed people. Hmm. Yeah, I, I guess my my thinking is that you know you 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 would imagine that someone would be a little more they would take more steps. They'd say, okay, I'm going to change this a little bit, see if anybody notices. I'm going to change but, this a little bit, see why? if anybody notices. <laughs> I mean, if you've got access, if, if, yeah, if you've got if access, if your point is harm, why yeah, why yeah, hold back? Yeah, I think I think a lot of folks. And look, it's a good question, but I think a lot of folks try to rationalize. Well, if I was the adversary here, yeah, well, you're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, just stop it there. Like, well, well, I think you, well, are you uh, the adversary? No. Okay. All right. Well, then stop mirror imaging the adversary. 
They've got their own mm-hmm. motivations. They've got their own experience. They've got their own understanding of the problem. Sometimes they do stupid things. Sometimes they do stupid things that we think are stupid that are actually smart things. We just don't know. And I saw a lot of commentary on social media about that. Well, if I did this, I would have done it these three ways. And this is obviously a basic threat to, to do it this way. No, that's not obvious. Like it could be a sophisticated actor that did this. It could be a criminal actor that's domestic. Who knows? But you can't look at what they did with an HMI and predict the sophistication of the actor because sometimes really basic stuff is all that's required. No, it's it's a really good point. I mean, it's so easy to to fall into, you know, reading the tea leaves that, you know, oh, they went after a, a small town instead yeah. of a big city. Well, and, you Tampa, know, all those therefore, is related to the Super Bowl and what they were really trying to accomplish. And, oh, my gosh, like, it's like multiple levels of analytical leaps. And it's, uh, yeah, yeah. So where do we go from here? I mean, what, how does this inform, you know, what, 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 how we consider these sorts of vulnerabilities going forward? Yeah, I don't think there's any serious professional in this industry, especially working in ICS security, that is shocked at the state of many of our infrastructure sites. There are so many of our infrastructure operators and asset owners and operators that are doing such amazing work. But when you talk about 55,000 municipal water systems where they might not even have an IT person, let alone a security person, and they're under-resourced and understaffed and everything else, like it's not a shock. And, and so I don't know that you massively fix this in any one way. We have serious conversations about how we invest in our infrastructure, how we think about technology, how we think about workforce development, how we think about engineering training to design out some of the security risk. There's, there's a lot of stuff to think about at a macro level. But the reality is there's nothing, there's nothing new that's kind of informative about the style. It might be new in helping people understand that these things are going to happen, um, that, yeah, it's going to happen on American soil. Like, there's a lot of, like, well, that didn't happen. Like, Ukraine attack. I remember when Ukraine had happened, you know, the community eventually got around it. Or the first, like, six months, it was like, yeah, but that was Ukraine. That's not us. I'm like, but it could happen here. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. it was Ukraine. And Trace has happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's Saudi Arabia. And so sometimes we fall into that. And it's and and so the fact that this happened in the U.S. is in some way the wake-up call to some. But, again, my my point being, these things are going to happen more. The more our infrastructure gets connected, the more adversaries get focused on it, the more frequently we are going to see ICS stacks. I've, I've talked about this kind of trend for years and what we're anticipating. And we need to think about organizational and institutional change with the strategies behind it, not point security solutions. Not, well, if they were just using multi-factor, it would have been solved. Or if they were just doing this one thing, it would have been solved. No, it wouldn't have been. I don't know the folks at Oldsmar. But I know plenty of folks in the water industry, and for some of them, there's EPA regulations of, hey, if a pump fails, you got to be able to access it within a 30-minute window. But they live an hour and a half away, but they live an hour and a half away because they've got 15 plants to monitor, and they're the guy on call. And so the only way to get to it is remote access software. Or you know, there's, there's So it's I hate the, these guys are morons and screw the water people. Like Nine times out of 10, they're just doing the best they can to keep the water on uh, and to keep mm. it clean, to keep it going. So I... I don't like the victim blaming crap, but I, I, I think we're silly if we think there's a simple answer and we need to sit down and, and have that conversation and what that looks like, put out a strategy and go approach it because it's going to get worse. It's not going to be die hard. Stop freaking out about all the scenarios, but it's going <laughs> to lead to death. It's going to lead to environmental impact. And Oldsmar was a facility with 15,000 people that depended on it. That is not a national critical infrastructure site under any consideration. 
That is not a significantly impactful critical infrastructure site. That is not a national security topic. But to those 15,000 people, it sure as hell is. Those are 15,000 humans. And so we've got to do better for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, Robert M. Lee, thanks for joining us. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Built better to ride better. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.